0: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites, so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today can you hear me? Can you hear me on the phone?
1: I've got you coming out of every orifice (laughs) I'm really not You're breaking off quite badly Hello and welcome to the lock-in Where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from In a place I want to be The pub For some reason this bloody thing Has started playing back some rubbish
2: Oh, right where were we? I forgot I have two.
1: Hello, we're locked in today with someone destined to drag, clanking behind them the initials MP. This is the first MP on this podcast, and this is definitely not because I'm missing them. I am not. But Naz Shah is not like any other MP I know. She won the seat of Bradford West in the 2015 election, taking it from that charlatan George Galloway, which is another reason to like her. Her mother did time in prison for killing her abusive partner. Again, not common. Her family come from Pakistan. nash did you always want to be an MP?
2: Oh, no, not at all. I, I, I only decided to actually... Tried to become an MP in 2014 and I was elected within a year of having the first conversation. So it definitely wasn't part of my career trajectory originally, no.
1: What did you imagine you'd be doing?
2: Um, I'd had all sorts of ideas. So My background is public sector and I'm passionate about leadership development. So I was doing a lot of work on leadership development and I, I still do that. And I was, I was even considering retraining and going back to college and um, retraining as a as a barrister. That was something that I was interested in doing because I'm quite a litigious type of person. So yeah, there was lots of options, but MP wasn't on the top of the list, that's for sure.
1: But it was on the list, was it?
2: No, not till so in two thousand and fourteen. So so Galloway came to Bradford, and there we had we had the uh, earthquake, if you like, because he took the seat from um, from the Labour Party. And at the time Ed Miliband came and we had a big post-mortem of what happened. And it, it turned out that it was because of the issue of Bradley politics, clan politics, where a patriarchal model of politics and men hold positions of power for the sake of holding positions of power. And Galloway originally had said that he was going to break that system of Pakistani model of politics, which was undemocratic. Um, so he got my vote in 2012 when he came to Bradford. And then by 2014, he was just never around. He was really an absentee MP. And when uh, an MP came up to Bradford to kind of find out whether they could turn it into an all-women shortlist and said to me, would you consider it? And I said, no, don't be daft. It's the dirtiest place and it's a man's world. And he threw down the gauntlet. He said, well, if you're not going to get in it, who's going to clean it up? You've got to be part of a solution, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. So that was on the 1st of June 2014, on the 6th, 7th of May, you know, the next year I was elected to Parliament. Because I just, I felt like, you know, I could do a better job than George Galloway because he was never around, and I wanted to represent my constituent, my, my community in Bradford. And I just, you know, I'm born in Bradford West, raised in Bradford West, so I thought, yeah, why not? Put your money where your mouth is, now. <laughs> And uh, six, nearly six years now, and here I am talking to you.
1: How do you define your community?
2: Oh, my community of Bradford. But my community, I see all of Bradford as my community, really. I, I, although I'm the MP for Bradford West and we've got five of our MPs, I think Bradford is, you know, in, in the elections, people have referred to it, as, as my Tory opponents have referred to it as Planet Bradford, uh, because Bradford's had a really hard deal. So... That my communities where you know I've, I've lived in lots of different areas of Bradford West I went to a couple of different schools because my mum moved around a lot so I've um so yeah my community is really really everybody in Bra- every fellow Bradfordian really um and then obviously I, I come from Pakistani heritage and Pakistani background and I, I've I've uh, you know so I've experienced my issues of patriarchy and misogyny and all the rest of it with the with the, 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 that community that I belong to. So that was also something that I wanted to work with, you know work with the community because I think there's um, I think there's a beauty of you know I, I, I fell in love with the idea of leadership during my NHS days and I just think there's a beauty of having a proper democracy and having people empowered because I, I firmly believe people have their own solutions to issues. So it's about empowerment and leadership for me, but yeah, uh, Bradford West is an interesting, interesting seat in the whole of the UK, really. Especially when you've had people like Galloway there, and then we had Salma Yaqub there a couple of years afterwards. You know, so it's a, and it was the dirtiest campaign until Sadiq Khan's campaign came along. It was the the, the most vitriolic gutter campaign ever ran on British soil, and I and I survived it. <laughs> Do know, the men in your are, yeah.
1: community think you're a, a threat?
2: Uh, the majority of them are absolutely brilliant. I think there's a, there's a pocket of them that feel real, really, really threatened. And when I did the a couple of years, well, in 2016, when Samia Shahid was taken to Pakistan and she was brutally raped and murdered, and that was a clear case of honour killing, at that point, you could, you know, the, the difference I saw, Jeremy, was 25 years ago when I was campaigning for my mum, people wouldn't openly support me. And then here I was 25 years later, the businesses of Bradford came along and supported the work that I was doing. So there's been, so the majority of them are absolutely brilliant. But then there's a handful of them who, you know, I'm a real, I, I, I'm a big threat to Bradley politics. I'm a big threat to this this hold on power that the men had. And I've, I've, you know, I've smashed the idea that you can have democracy and it's not about having power for the sake of power. And you can have representation. Uh, but yeah, that was, there are still, oh God, there's still, you know, I mean, that's in politics generally, isn't it? You know, you get into a position of power. There's always people who feel threatened by that. And and I suppose I'm a bit of a Marmite character as just some of the men in the community.
1: How um how much have you been seduced by the, the sloganising of politics? You know, you're in Westminster. Everybody on that side of the house does it wrong. Everyone on your side of the house does it right. How much have you given into that?
2: Well, to some degree, we all have to when we're when we're you know when we're, when you're the official opposition, you've got to do some of that. But it's like last week's budget debate. I was really clear that I'm not I'm not going to complain. I want to work with government. You're the people in power, so I need to work with you to get some investment into Bradford. So I will work with the with, with government as long as it gets a benefit for for bradford west i'm really not you know so on the in official speeches and when we're when we're you know pointing out where i think the government are going wrong i'll do that but equally i see the power of working with government and i saw that when um we went we did the covid bill in 2020 in march and i got an amendment to the burial amendment uh to secure burial rights for muslims and jews So that was really, you know, then I really, really felt the impact of working together with government to get legislation through and to to be able to influence. And that, you know, I I like that. That experience was really good.
1: What do you think of the way that Parliament operates?
2: Oh, it's a bit archaic. Um, But you know what, I'll tell you what I have been seduced by Is, you know, the, when I came into politics I was kind of like a real activist background And when I came in, you know, there was this whole conversation About restoring Parliament at the cost of a taxpayer And then when you go into the building And you realise, you kind of like You realise the monumental um position That that building holds in our psyche, in our country So I fell in love with the idea of preserving that which I wasn't necessarily—I—I'd I, never had a strong opinion against it, but I was questioning myself on that. So that you know, those kind of things that I have, and I love the idea when I, especially because I'm of Pakistani heritage, and I look at the democracy in other countries, and I think where where they're at, and how you know, I, I like the idea of accountability that we've got in our system, which is which isn't in other systems. So I, I, I like that idea. Having said that. You know, in the last in the last six months to a year, where we've seen the kind of cronyism that's happened, I do that that does worry me. That does worry me because it's it it doesn't have the accountability of them. Um, you know, taxpayers' money. That bit I struggle with. That bit I do struggle with.
1: So you are in favour of spending all these billions of pounds restoring that building, are you?
2: I think I think Parliament is so significant in terms of the world as a heritage site, as a as where where things happened and what. I don't know whether I'd, I'd be in favour. of, You know, so, so Parliament, the building, how it works, might not work efficiently, as in, you know, in some modern parliaments do, and how the building is situated. But I'd I wouldn't want to see us losing the Palace of Westminster as an institution for the British public and for the world to see that building itself you know the history of the building I quite like it
1: you've sold out
2: <laughs> I don't think I've sold out there's still no. so if we even I mean there's been ideas about turning it into a museum turning it into a tourist attraction I think there's so much history there I'd hate to lose history but one of the things that I like about Britain is that we do preserve history one of the things i don't like about britain is that you know we don't we we, we you know this whole conversation of blm and having these uh you know but having the curriculum which which talks about our history without you know airbrushing the edges which aren't comfortable i think that bit that bit i don't like about it but i do I do like the idea of understanding history. I think it empowers it really really teaches us as a person, especially as somebody who's not been to university who didn't have a degree in history or economics or politics you know i'm I'm on a learning journey myself I think like i've got I think going into Parliament in the six years that I've done being an MP, I think I've got uh, I'm I'm on my own kind of degree of learning here about history and what that means and what, how the British are and what 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 does it mean to be British? All of that thing I find it fascinating. Just learning about the stuff, I really do.
1: You almost sound as if you've come to love it a bit.
2: I'm not sure. I love democracy. I love the idea of democracy. If I could package it and put it in places like Pakistan. I'd love to do that. And the reason I'd love to do that is I see where, where women are empowered, what differences that they can make. And when you've got education for children, what differences that can make. So Because I, I spent a couple of years in Pakistan as a teenager. So I've got huge, huge attachment there. And it's my, you know, it's a it's land of my parents. So I do see that there is something from here that I'd love to take and, you know, infuse it in, in that, in the ways that they work. Um, but, so I love that bit. I think what I what I struggle with now in these last six years, Jeremy, is where the the road that we've taken into politics, which is very very divisional, very very it's there's no it's about it's 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 either or against and there's no middle ground of of um, you know post Trumpism post all of that. I struggle with that hatred, the level of hatred and vitriol that has entered politics. That bit I really really struggle with, and I don't love that at all. You know, is it you know, and I really struggled with you know, when I encourage other women to come into politics, I hate the idea that, you know, if you take a public position, the kind of abuse that you'd get, the kind of you know, that's horrible. I mean I, I won a libel case against Levy U in October. So Levy U um called me a grooming gangs apologist and they said it was satire. But that kind of stuff isn't satire, it's really, really... You know, I've got 25 years of history of working around women's issues and the issues of abuse against women. And then you have that kind of that Islamophobia, that racism, that post-Brexit stuff, that, that's a bit that really disheartens me. So I don't think I'm in love with it. I'm, I love the idea of democracy, but I'm certainly not in love with politics as where it's at right now. I, I, I really, really struggle with a lot of it.
1: And what do you think about Pakistan?
2: Pakistan, I think Pakistan's got huge challenges. I think um, you know, I, I, I mean, I try not because my one of my staff takes a lot of interest in Pakistan because his brother's in Pakistan, and he fills me, he fills me in every couple of months. We have a conversation about it, but I do, but I do have a lot of a diaspora community in Bradford West, so for that reason, when it affects people like. So, like when COVID happened, when the flights weren't, you know, we were trying to repatriate people, At those times I have to link in with the Pakistani authorities. I've had to link in with the Pakistani authorities when it came to the Samia Shahid murder, um, and I'm glad that they did take the response. Although I still haven't seen any justice for Samia. Um, so, for, for I think it's got a, it's a it's a relatively young country. It's less than 75 years old. It's got a long, long way to go. You know, our democracy, in comparison, is hundreds and hundreds of years old. You know, so um, so I think it's got a long way to go, but I think um, you know, it's a. Uh, I don't keep. So I've been to Pakistan. Uh, we've done as part of the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association. i we went over, and I led a delegation. Um, but um, yeah. But I, like, I want to go back and I want to show my, my kids haven't been to, you know, I've got a 17-year-old, six. well, she's going to be 17 next month. She only went over when she was a baby, when she was one. So I want to take my children over at some point once COVID is done. And we've got to, you know, because my boys haven't seen Pakistan. They don't know what, what I talk about or what their grandma talks about. You know, they're now nine and, and 13. So I do want to take them over at some point.
1: But your experience of Pakistan was pretty horrible part of it.
2: Well, it was horrific some of it was horrific so i lived in i stayed in a village i went to a local school um, the things that i experienced there having a forced marriage at the age of 15 you know i um it was it was i was robbed of my childhood i feel like that was the turning point for me is just you know playing out with the with the boys and taking the kids dog for a walk that uh, there were there, was, there was beautiful things about it in terms of the culture and stuff but the 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 stuff about the stuff that I experienced from a from some of that patriarchal mindset was absolutely horrendous
1: and yet you don't castigate the whole country for propagating that mindset
2: no because I think it's um so so, so for me one of the things that has, has been my saving if you like or my uh, the thing that's really helped me through is the association of understanding what Islam means to me and I'm I'm you know i when i when my mum went to prison, Jeremy, I used to think you know it was Muslim men and it was about Muslims and actually, if my mum had have been if my mum had been tre by Muslim men as a Muslim woman, she'd have been protected, she wouldn't have been ostracized like she was. I wouldn't have experienced that because now I raise my children, my children are very liberal minded, they're very British, they're very you know outward looking the world is their oyster, but they still have lots of strength in them that comes from their religion, from their Islam and being Muslim. And they they understand that in the context of empowerment. And my sons understand that with my, my daughter, which is really important. So I think there's, and even in Bradford, when we had the Bradley politics, to me, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If, if you if, if those people have only known that kind of power politics until you don't introduce them to something which is alternative and present something which is more empowering then how do they know what the difference is you know you've got to take people on a journey with you and I think every country is the same and in, and in Pakistan has got Bradford Bradford has got the, a large diaspora community but it's also got one of the youngest populations in the UK and that not just UK in the whole of Europe. So that's a huge strength. So it's about focusing on our strengths and empowering people to understand. Because misogyny exists everywhere, Jeremy, let's be honest, you know, it was, what was it, a couple of years ago when we had the um, uh, the big, uh, uh, what was it, on Park Lane, when we had the President's Club dinner, you know, and the kind of stuff that was happening there. That was in modern day Britain in, you know, in this century where we had the the misogyny that was experienced at that event which was then cancelled so it's misogyny exists everywhere patriarchy exists everywhere but it's about empowering and working with communities and and and, it, and I think it's about empowering women to take their space but more so getting the men to understand that that's not a threat that if we if we empower our women in our communities we can you know we we can thrive as a community together and as a, as a as a community, as a city, as a country, you know, however, as a world. So women need to take their space and men need to encourage that and not feel threatened by it. But you'll always get a handful of that too.
1: That's why education matters, isn't it?
2: Yeah. that That's one of my big things because I didn't have an education. So I went back to university. Uh, so, so I went back to college to do a, an access course to get into university. So I got two equivalents of um a GCSEs, and A levels. Um, but they were I never went back to university. And it's one of the things that I, you know, I wish I'd have had had the chance to go back to university. And I'd and I wouldn't write that off because I'm 50 in a few years' time. And it's something that I wouldn't mind even dabbling in into the open university to just apply some discipline to my life. <laughs>
1: That's really hard. The Open Univers- University is the university I admire most actually. Because people who are studying there They've got to really, really crack the whip on themselves.
2: Yeah, it would be it would be hard, but it's something I have considered. I mean, I've been considering it ever since I got into Parliament, but I've just not had the chance, time. You know, we've had we've had free elections, Jeremy, in the last six years. We've had free prime ministers. We've had, you know, Jeremy Corbyn as a leader. We've had now we've got Keir Starmer as a leader. You know, and and it's it's been a and we've had Brexit in between. And now we've got COVID. So six years of politics is like so much. I mean, you've been, you, you've been interviewing politicians for years. You know, you, it's never been this, this. I've never known it to be this chaotic. I don't know what, you, what your feeling is, but the chaos in the last six years has been, has been a lot. It really has. Re-elections.
1: Do you want to get up the greasy pole in politics? Do you want to become a party leader or anything like that?
2: No, I've got no ambitions as such. No ambitions as such. I, 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 my ambition was... my my. When I came into politics, it was to change the, the way... To the change the dial for Bradford. I think by the next few years, I think, you know, the work that I'm doing, I think will influence some of that. And if I, if I achieve that, then I've done my job. You know, I think... Um, Politics, some people, it's, you know, career politicians, it's something that they're there for, you know, for for life and they've spent years and years in Parliament. I can't see myself, um, you know, being, being there as a party leader, definitely not. I've got no ambitions to do that.
1: So what do you want to do with your life?
2: What do I say? So I've got three children, amazing children. My youngest is just nine at the moment. So um, when he when I came in, he was three years old. I've missed a lot of that. Um, I want to what what I want to do is bring in wood investment into Bradford. My my constituency of Bradford. If I can get that investment and shift the dial, then I've done my job. I want to carry on with advocating on education and women. That's my big passion because I think women empowered is you know it, it's beneficial to people and the communities. And I think I've also I also have a real passion around the issue of Islamophobia, because I feel like I'm an empowered uh, Muslim woman. And, you know, this whole idea of what Muslims are in the world and the, the the kind of narrative that we've had in the last few years, some of that I really, really want to challenge. That's something I'm really, really passionate about. So I think equality. But I'm also, Jeremy, the other thing is, because I'm Shadow Minister for Community Cohesion, and the other thing I've noticed is, whilst I've been working on this brief over the last year, is that what we don't have? What we what we don't have is brave conversations in politics. And when I say brave conversations, so when I've talked about education and achievement and attainment and people going in and social mobility, because social, if we have social mobility right, we we address lots and lots of issues. And Bradford has just been ranked the, first, the you know number one for social mobility university. But actually, there's a whole. There's a whole generation of men, in particular, white men, who don't go to university, and we're not having those kind of conversations because there's so much there's so much um, of that conversation which is hijacked by the far right that we don't do enough as politicians. And I think, you know, I feel that Farage wasn't made overnight. Brexit didn't happen overnight. We all know that. It happened over years and years. And I think that was a lack of leadership. And I think politics was devoid of leadership for a very, very, very long time. And I think we need some of that back. And I think when I listen to Joe Biden, and I'll tell you who really, really is inspiring me at the moment is the conversations that I hear from Anna Sawa in Scotland. So I interviewed him because I've got my own TV show on British Muslim TV now on a Friday night. And I, tr- and I tried to showcase stuff and showcase Muslims and showcase uh, it- it people who are t- dealing with issues. So I had Angela Rayner on this week and Shoma, who's been around, you know, who was, uh, who's done lots of work with her book. And we talked about that. And it's really, really what I find is that we need a narrative of... A unity and humanity back in politics, and I feel that we're really, really missing that at the moment. And I just, if I was something that I could, if I had a magic wand, and I had something to do, that's what I'd, I'd want a, a politics of peace and and unity rather than a politics of division. And I, and I like um, what Anasawa was saying at the moment is that, I, and he really, really inspired me about the conversations around Scotland, and when he came on, he said lots of things which were really inspiring. And I think that's the kind of politics I'd want to support.
1: But you can't be in favour of Scottish independence and in favour of the union. You simply can't do it. And when you try that's to get inward investment in Bradford West, you're going to be up against other places that want inward investment. What
2: do you say? Yeah. So I'm I'm in favour of a union in Scotland. I'm in favour of what Anasawa is saying about having a, a politics which is unified and not separated. I'm I'm in favour of that. And yes, we there is there is conflicting uh, there is conflicting priorities for the government as a whole. But to me, I'm going to just lobby for Bradford West. And I think I can make the case for Bradford West. I would love to see Bradford West being the green capital, the the, the green capital of the UK, because we've got the young population. Did you know? I've, I have found out that Bradford has the softest water in the country, which is why Bradford was the powerhouse for when the the industry of cotton and you know we've got velvet from Bradford, Manningham Mills, which is in my constituency, which adorns the Oval Office in white, the White House. You know we've got the history of Bradford. It used to be it used to be the biggest powerhouse outside of London in the UK. There is so much heritage there. The buildings are so beautiful. I just feel that Bradford needs that. You know the old old industrial kind of it. There has to be a Renaissance in Bradford. And I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be supporting. I I think in five years' time I'd love to do another interview with you and say to you, do you know what? This is what's happened in the last five years because I can see it happening. I really really can. I hope
1: you don't get beaten down.
2: <laughs> now nah. people like me don't get beaten down it's like you know there was the, the, come on how many times is, you know statistically where should i be i've got both parents were in prison father was convicted uh, you no know, for, for, for his drug dealing my mother was was in prison for killing an abusive partner i've done campaigns statistically me and my brother and sister we lost our home we lost everything and here i am talking to jeremy baxman do you know what I mean? It's like oh, oh, I still have that OMG moment of watching you on telly for years, and here I am having that conversation, and that's a privilege. I have my, I have a TV show, but what would the statistically, where should I be, Jeremy? And statistically, where should you know? Statistically, Bradford's got better chances than what I had of being here talking to you today. So why why can't it happen? And I'm never one for why. It's always why not. You know, and it has been, it's got me so far and I'm going to make sure Bradford, Bradford gets, gets there too. It's got to happen. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkled down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door.
0: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your borough purchase at borough.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at borough.com slash
1: ACAST. Okay, in the spirit of unity, who's your favorite Tory MP?
2: So I really like Penny Mordaunt. Penny, because I worked with her during the, um, we did the, um, a burial amendment, and I found she was really, really... And Simon Clark who was my opposite number at the time. And even, even now, this is... So I get on as a person with Philip Davies really well, and I get on with Steve Baker really well. I think that as people, their politics are very different, but as individuals, you know, in Bradford, Philip and I have good conversations um, about Bradford, and we have lots and lots of, you know, with uh, them... um, we have lots of differences <laughs> to put it to put it, uh, bluntly, is but as people we got on really, really well. You know, I could I could imagine challenge Philip 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 and, and, and he's married Chester McVeigh. But I could imagine us sitting together and having a really, really good conversation and teasing out some of that stuff, which I think is really important. You know, Andrew Percy, I I got on really well with Andrew, um I got on quite quite Victoria Atkins, again, fellow uh, member of the Home Affairs Select Committee. Uh, there's quite a there's quite a few people, quite a few Tories that I do genuinely get on with.
1: And you wouldn't be averse to having a meal with them or
2: anything. No, not at all. Because I think politics is one of the things that I firmly believe in. There's nobody who goes into the House of Parliament who doesn't believe that they're making a difference. I've yet to come across people who, you know, I, I, I mean, I might not. Have, I, I'd I'd like to. It would fit a, a better narrative. I think they didn't mean to you know, if, if they weren't as, um, how can I put it, so, so everybody, including Boris Johnson, including everybody who I've really, really got serious concerns about what they do and how they go about their things, they believe in a political ideology and a, and, a, and a way of doing things which is different to mine, and that's the difference, but there isn't anybody who's going into politics to say, do you know what, I want to make it hard for people out there, I won't I don't want to make it easy for my constituents there isn't and one of the things as a constituency MP if you're a strong constituency MP you'll do the best for your constituents you might not you know you might not politically agree with some some somebody or their political ideology or the way they do it so I very really, very really do struggle with political ideology of a Tory party but as people that doesn't mean to say I don't I don't you know, I don't hate anybody I think that's and I, and I don't dislike I, I dislike the politics but I don't dislike the people I some people I really do you know I struggle with it I think you know come on get a grip you know Pretty Patel for example you know I really really but as a person as a person could I have a conversation with Pretty? I'd be happy to have a conversation with Pretty because Pretty and I are so you know so different and we've got so much different ideologies but I'd 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 have that conversation because without conversations where are we gonna we're never gonna get to a position where we're where we're having even a conversation to be able to influence and isn't the whole point of politics to influence and change things is there anyone like you in parliament yeah i'd like to think there are i you know i mean it's. i mean, been with COVID. It's hard to, you know. I, I've got some amazing, amazing women in Parliament that I really, really admire, and I think, you know, in certainly in the two thousand and fifteen intake, who are really, really making their mark, and I think they're they're amazing people. So, yeah.
1: Um, who are these people who are like you in Parliament?
2: Angela Rayner. We, you know, Angela Rayner is hasn't come up through the normal career. A path in politics, so she's. I think she's something that I, somebody I find a lot in common with of just making a difference to communities. But but also, I remember my police chief uh, um, superintendent when I first came into politics. He sat there and he said to me, "Who do you think are the people in your intake who will, you know, who will, from a leadership perspective, do you think will be real influences?" And I mentioned Joe Cox was in that uh, list, Stephen Kinnock. Because again, don't forget, Jeremy, I came in through a very different route of politics. You know, within a year, I didn't know lots of my fellow parliamentary candidates, which is I wasn't part of a Labour Party machinery. I hadn't been out. Loads of them came up and campaigned with me, which I was really grateful for. The ones that came up and campaigned in Bradford West, I got to know them through that experience. But I didn't have that kind of Labour Party. Understanding of how things worked in the Labour Party or anything. I was a member of the party, but we had a constituency Labour Party that had been suspended for years because of rugby politics. So I had I had no real grasp on things um, at the time. And then you know Louise Hay, I've got a lot of time for Lou uh, Louise. I've got a lot of time for you know Jess Phillips with, with the, uh, you know at the time. I, I felt that she was going to make a real difference. And I think, you know, this week, what I've seen of her, I've really liked her her stance on things. I've been, um, you know, we're and um, There's quite a few people who came into in my intake who I thought were, you know, I thought would, um, Joe was definitely, from, from what I remember of Jo, she was definitely in that list of people that I thought would be making, making a difference. Who
1: was asking you these questions? I thought you said a police superintendent or something.
2: Yeah, it was the police superintendent. Simon Atkin and I once sat, sat, sat there and said to me, so who do you think, you know, out of your intake, what is it like? We were just having a general conversation about politics and he said, who do you think will be the movers and the shakers of the next, you know, are there any future leaders in there? And I just went off this list and I thought, you know, I think they've got potential. I think they're good. I think they're good. Do you know, so we had this conversation, like you do. <laughs> but I'll never forget that conversation. Does
1: skin colour make any difference?
2: Does? Yes, of course it does. Of course it does. Um, it's, it's, uh, there was, um, there, there was some, so, so there's, so there was one incident, which I, which I'll probably write about after I leave politics, which was, because I'd never, ever put it in, I, I just, actually there was two big incidents, I think, um, which I experienced in politics. And they were both at the hands of, um, yeah, very powerful men, both white men. And they're not, and I just don't see. I think what that requires is brave conversations, and I don't, I don't see. You've got to learn from them, and you've got to influence those people. And I think for both of those people that made those comments, I influenced them. I didn't, I didn't. I, I remember one time being literally reduced to tears, um, because of uh, how I'd been treated. And I sat there for about. It was a. It was an event, and it was a table, and I sat there, and I thought, you know what? I get this, I needed to understand why I was experiencing it, how I was feeling about it, and how I'd turn it around. And I and I went over after the event and paid a genuine compliment to the person who'd, who'd not been so nice to me, and got engaged, deliberately engaged in a conversation, because I thought, you have clearly some kind of prejudice and opinion about me, and I, need, I want to shift that. Because one of the things about life is, we, we have people who have prejudices and we don't take responsibility of shifting those and we don't take responsibility of influencing others. So if somebody has got a, a bad opinion of me, then I need to understand where that's come from. And if I understand where that's come from, I have to take responsibility to change that perception. And there'll be times when you can't, it doesn't matter, right? It, they, they will have that opinion because they genuinely just don't like you and that's fine, that's okay. But where you can have brave conversations and influence somebody to say, "Look, um, you've got you—you might have got me wrong, but I'm happy to work with you," then I think that that's the way we move forward. We have to take those responsibilities, and because you've got to give some comp- compassion to other people as well, Jeremy. Because not everybody—we don't—I don't believe that we we as a, as, a, as, a, as a people are made to hate. I just don't believe that. I just believe that we are innately people who have goodness in us. And I think sometimes people's experiences make them angry, people's experiences make them hurt, people's experiences help them. You know, years and years ago, years ago, when I was five years old, my mum was mugged outside. We were walking to nursery, to Green Lane Nursery, and she was mugged and it was a black guy who'd, who'd held her wrist and he'd, she ended up in hospital with a dislocated wrist. And she'd gone to the, the, the guy had gone to the hospital, and he'd had stitches in his head because my mum kind of hit him and ran off. And when she, when he, when he, when he held, held a, uh, I couldn't be more than five, six years old. And that experience did that give me, as a child, a, a subconscious idea of who, what that black person was. And I think it did. And that I had to really, really understand that. And as you grow up, if we don't take responsibilities for our conditioning then I think we're not going to raise the next generation. We're just going to go more deeper into the narrative of division. So I think we have to take responsibility. And I take responsibility. If somebody has a bad opinion about me, I'd be happy to sit down with them and explain myself. I really, really will.
1: Naz, you know know what everyone's been talking about this week. is about that Meghan and Harry interview and her comment that the royal family were racist. Do you think this is a racist country?
2: So I think there's a lot of prejudice, but there's prejudice in every country. I don't think, I think there is prejudice in this country. I think there is prejudice about, so my children have talked about it. I've talked about it, but, this, but it's not. So there's different levels, isn't there? There's different experiences. So if you don't understand something and you're ignorant of it, like I was, you know, I, I Jeremy, I got suspended for anti-Semitism. It's not um, It's not something I'm proud of, but it was ignorant. And I remember Ian Burrow was sat there in, in Portcullis House and he says, oh, what are you going to say about it? And I says, well, I'm going to, you know, well, I was ignorant. You can't say that. Politicians can't say that. You can't say you're ignorant. Well, why can't you? We're human beings. We, we don't know everything. And and not everybody knows everything about different cultures but the thing is, and this is why I keep coming back to the idea of Brave Conversations we we need to allow people to ask questions without fearing I'd much rather, and, and Shola said this on my show, she said I'd much rather you ask me a question and say, well I want to understand this but we have to create that space for people to ask those questions because we don't understand everything about different people's cultures you know it's um we, we just don't and and is that that's just been part of part of human nature as a country do I think we're racist? I think we've got prejudices. I've got, i think there's prejudices in every layer. I think there is institutional racism. I think there is um, I think there is absolutely there is institutions. there's a structures which which don't allow people to to thrive and be themselves and bring their whole selves into whatever they're doing. And I'll give you an example. You know, I said earlier, I'm passionate about leadership. So I do, I'm on the strategic command course at the police for the future chief constable. Um, I do a diversity session there. I do diversity leadership development at the NHS Leadership Academy. And often what happens is, so, and I say this to the police officers, so what you'll do is when you go into leadership development, the institutions and the NHS did to me, we're we're going to give you these... um, masterclasses for BAME senior leaders. So you've gone to these masterclasses and that will allow you to get further up in your career but these are designed just for you because of your culture or because of your skin colour. So that to me is saying, the problem is you, we're going to put you all in a room together, you need to fix it and you need to become more like the system is. Rather than saying, we need a cultural shift to to embrace you with all your diversity and we need to encompass everybody rather than, you know, becoming more of the same. And that's the difference, Jeremy. The, the difference is we want people to be able to bring their authentic self into positions of leadership because nobody... It's like you just said to me, you're a sellout, you know, you have sold out. It's like how many people, when they get into positions of power and, and high positions of power are called sellouts because... you you have to we shouldn't have to become more of the same to be authentic leaders I just don't think we should I think we should be able to 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 be able to be our authentic selves I mean of course I can't use the language that I used 20 years ago if you saw my documentary from 20 um, 1995 it was uh, 2000. I'll send you the link. You know, the language I used in in that, my language was very, very different. I don't clearly use the same language when I'm sat on the green benches. I've got to, you know, you've got to amend your communication style and that's okay, but you've still got to be authentic.
1: Are you an optimist?
2: Oh, God, yeah. Hell yeah. What's not to be optimistic about? You know, it's just, um, we're privileged. We're privileged. I'm privileged. I'm, I'm sat in Great Britain. I'm sat in... You know, I'm a a, a member of Parliament, Jeremy. How many girls coming from where I came from, you know, witnessing what I witnessed are here? You know, how how many girls would be here? And what's not to be optimistic about? I've got three beautiful children. I'm I'm talking to you. You know, it's like, I remember when I, you know, it's one of my... You know, when you've kind of, like, in politics, you've kind of, like, made it when you've had an interview with, with such and such and such and such. To me, it was like, you know, when we talk about Pakistan, because when, when I go to Pakistan, I have uh, interviews with um, a, a couple of the uh, big anchors. And it's like, when you describe them, well, who are they? Are they the Andrew Marr? Are they the Jeremy Paxman? Are they, are they the Nick Robinson kind of thing, you know? So, so to me, it's like, it's, it's privileges, isn't it? It's honours, but, you know, it, yeah, there's everything to be optimistic about. Everything even in the post-Covid world.
1: (laughs) It's been a pleasure speaking to you today.
2: (laughs) Thank Thank you. What a pity we
1: weren't Do you drink or not? No. No, no, you don't. So could you, do you ever go to a pub?
2: So I'd I'd happily go to a pub. I mean, I went into, I've been to Strangers twice and they've made me a a lemonade. They developed a drink. Somebody said to me, I said, look, give me something that's not alcoholic. And they made me a lemonade shandy thing. And uh, I had that, and then the next time I went in, which was about probably a couple of years later, the Bahman wasn't the same, so I didn't get it again. So it was just um, a, a cope that I got. But yeah, I went to Hajj, Jeremy, in uh, two thousand, about well, two years ago. I was the last cohort before COVID, and I went to Hajj. And I'm a practicing Muslim, so I get a lot of my strength and, you know, uh, courage from from my from my Deen, because my 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 religion, my um, identity, a lot of that comes from that.
1: Is it incredibly crowded, the Hajj?
2: It is incredibly crowded, it is, but um it's an experience and a half because it's like you've got people from all over the world of all different skin colours and everybody just you're just there for the same thing. And the and the most the, the most enormous thing is you're you're travelling in one direction and you're all saying the same prayer. You know, and when I hear that prayer, it just gives you goosebumps because it's like um, you're all you're all traveling towards God and that oneness, and it's just it's just unified. There's millions of people. How they manage millions of people in that space, I'll never understand. But there's millions of people just doing the same thing, just and it's that unity, and it's it's like the whole world is there. It's just absolutely amazing. Did you feel so, yeah, changed by oblifting.
1: it? Did I feel changed by it?
2: Did I feel changed i felt I felt much more better in terms of my establishment of my prayer did i was it a life changing experience? I think it's life changing isn't that i've met one of my obligations as a Muslim to complete my hajj i i 've done that so that kind of like empowers me um was it life changing it was life changing in some ways, but it wasn't one of those you know when people say you you go to the hajj and that's that your whole life is kind of like you know they've been kind of like miraculous experiences it was it wasn't that to me. What it was is it strengthened me as a person um and it, and it didn't you know I didn't come back some people wondered whether I'd come back and wear the hijab you know and the, and the and i didn't i didn't you know I wore the hijab whilst I was there when I traveled you know makeup free with a hijab all the way, way throughout and um, when I came back um I went back to being a politician and I went back to being mum and back to being everything, but I think it what, what it did is internally it gave me a lot of strength yeah.
1: Do you think we understand? I don't really understand what it must be like to be. I mean, for example, just take something very simple. You sometimes see male Muslims with red hair. Is that? That's because they've been on the Hajj, is it?
2: No, so red hair—it's really interesting, right? So my grandma, God bless her, God rest her soul. She was. She used to wear mendi henna. So a lot of them wear henna and it's like bright red or gingery color and henna is something which is good for your hair and it's good it's a natural colorant and henna is um, you know different depending on who you speak to because I'm not I'm not a, a theologian but there's lots of um, narrative developed in the community that henna is good for you and it's something that is is um, seen upon to, to do is is good so my my grandmother used to have that red hair. I mean, when um, when I remember when she had dementia, it was really difficult to color her hair. And my granddad had the same kind of orange beard uh, when he was um, when when uh, and I, I was quite close to him. So I think that red hair is just the henna, and it's not nothing not associated with the Hajj or anything. With the Hajj, if anything, what's associated with the Hajj and Umrah is a smaller pilgrimage. Is men usually shave their hair, so they they come back with bald heads, and um, because they shave it.
1: This is fascinating. Uh, And it's Ramadan soon,
2: isn't it? Yeah, it's Ramadan in a few weeks. So we're kind of like gearing up to, you know, get my body into shape to do it. It Sounds (laughs) awful because there's
1: so much of the day you can't eat.
2: Um, it's actually first few days are really difficult. So you go through these there's these really good um, uh, guides now, and technology is amazing because there's good apps that show you that the first day this is what will happen. So you you you're, you know you, you really struggle your your tongue that kind of dryness and all the rest of it. And then by t- by day day ten or day eight you're kind of like detoxified and your energy levels boost up. And your energy levels boost up because it's using all your reserves, and it's actually a brilliant detox, right? You should, you should, even if it's not. Not a lot of people do intermittent fasting. It's it's a big thing. Well, my mother's been doing intermittent fasting not because it was intermittent fasting, but because it was a it's one of the good things to do from a religious point of view for the last, you know, I think it was more than twenty years, and it, and it helps her because she's sixty-seven, and well, no, she's sixty-eight, and she's got better figure than me. You know, so she's, it, it does work. So intimate, in fact, there's a lot of things that we we do, which are kind of like now in the Western world is understood as, you know, really, really good hacks of keeping fit and stuff. But di- but a detox, a, a, that yearly detox really does, it, it helps you kind of reset the dial on yourself as a the person. It makes you concentrate on you. Um, and that, and you need to concentrate on you because you have to be the best version of you to be, you know, to, to, to be the best version of you as a human being and that helps you it really does
1: i've heard people you know saying that uh, there's going to be a muslim takeover in the west <laughs> but Do you
2: listen-
1: it? Like- listening to you doesn't sound like that <laughs>
2: You know, the hilarious thing is, right, and I I heard this, I can't take credit for this, it was Baroness Varsity who said it, where she joked one time and she said, oh, we're less than 5% of the population, but somehow we're going to have a Muslim takeover of the UK and Sharia law and everything else. And and the, 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 the hilarious thing is, if you look at Sharia law, the first tenant of Sharia law is that you've got to abide by the law of the land, whichever land you're in. You know, so so that's the first tenant of Sharia law. So there's nothing about Sharia law that is going to come into this country. And we're going to take over. I'm quite happy with the British laws that have you know. I'm quite happy with you know behaving in a way which is you know British values because there's no, there's no no conflict whatsoever, Jeremy, between my Islamic values and British values. If anything, British values have changed over the years. You know, there, there was um, I remember. The, the leaflets that I saw when I came into politics that the Tory party used if you, you know using an N word and saying if you want an N for your neighbour bought Labour there were there were homophobic leaflets there was all of that whereas you know that, that British values has evolved over time to encompass differences and all but you know but to me Islamic values Muslim values have always been human values I think they get misinterpreted I think people use them to, and, and that's with anything in life you've always got your your are um, extremists who want to form in on something and you're radicals and they want to turn something into, it means turn it into something else. And that happens in all cultures and all communities. But genuinely, if you look at all religions, and all, there, there is no, A, there's no t- takeover, I can reassure your listeners there's no takeover by Sharia can- councils or Sharia courts, as they're known. There's none of that happening. We're very, Muslims are very, very much part of the uh, fabric of British society. And we're very proud of it, you know. We we, um, we, we some of the charity work that goes on amongst British charities, and Muslim charities, especially during Christmas. I think it's brilliant. We did the big uh, there was a big lovely cup of tea campaign over Christmas. You know, Christmas is one of those times where Muslims try and reach out. And then there's this whole thing about oh well, we don't celebrate Christmas and all. You know, I've got a big you know I've got a big Christmas tree every year. I mean, my daughter put it on a Snapchat. and She does get the odd te- well. You you can't be you've got that ignorance of you've got a christmas tree in the background you've got a, you've got a you know you do presents on christmas day yeah it's a big part of our it's a big part of our kind of you know my kids love christmas they love their christmas presents you know i mean um, i think it's not just because of the christmas present i think no i did a and i did a big turkey and i did a big lamb this christmas you know i did uh, the whole trimmings and everything so there's not and many muslims you know when we're not um we're not in a, a box, you know. There's different things about us, and where we, you know, we contribute to different aspects of British life, just like you you do and others do.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Naz. Good luck to you.
2: Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Well, there you are, Naz Shah, a walking rebuke to the lazy commonplace that our politicians are all the same. They're not. Next week we've got Jake Fiennes, yet another distinguished member of the Fiennes clan, and no less accomplished in his own line of work, which happens to be the conservation and restoration of wild habitats, specifically on the Holcomb estate in Norfolk. He's a man who knows his warblers from his robins, and we had a lovely chat about birdsong, birds, hedges, The important things in life. Do join us for that. And in the meantime, keep buggering on.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.